Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Today's a very special day. We get to have six baptisms uh, today. We have Arturo Osagera, Sally Farlander, Lainey Browning, Josie Hume, Owen, and Brent Geyer. These all have made professions of faith and are here to be obedient to the command in God's word to be baptized. We know that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, during his public ministry on he- here on earth, Christ gave the church two ordinances to regularly practice. Uh, the first is communion, which we uh, took part in last week, and the second is baptism. The baptism we practice today symbolizes that each of these six people who will be baptized today are baptized, being baptized into the righteousness of Christ um, it symbolizes this baptize, or excuse me, it symbolizes being baptized in the righteousness of Christ, dying with him, and rising free with sin, and able to walk in this newness of life. Christ's perfect righteousness fulfills all the requirements of the law for sinners who could never hope to do so on their own. Without exception, in the New Testament, baptism is tied to repentance and faith in the person being baptized. You are going to hear today some beautiful examples in the testimonies of these young people of how God has done a work in their lives and changed them. Now, there isn't anything special about this water that I'm standing in, except it's warm, praise God. It doesn't save you. It is clear in God's word that baptism is for people who have heard, understood, and believed the gospel They believe that Jesus is the Son of God and is their Savior. They have repented of their sins. Their sinful way of living are being baptized by water as a public display of their faith and repentance. We're excited to share with you all these declarations of faith and salvation. So first up, we have Arturo. Arturo has been coming to our church for uh, less than a year. He's brought with uh, a friend, and he's going to come on and tell us. Hello, everyone. My name is Arturo, for you that don't know me. I've been attending Faith Bible Church for about six months now. The past six months have been a true blessing to me. Coming from a family that wasn't big on attending church to the crowds I would involve myself with, and the struggles of being diagnosed with MS, I had a hard time staying consistent with my faith and laying my trust in God fully. I thank God for leading me to this church because I've met some of the most amazing people who I look up to dearly. Today's not my first time being baptized. The first time I got baptized, I did it not knowing what it truly meant and what it truly served. I did it because it was because it sounded good, it sounded right, and it made people around me happy. I used to go to church just to check it off my list of things to do on Sunday and to not upset certain people that had higher hopes for me. I also never really enjoyed sitting through sermon. My life as a sinner was far more pleasurable for me compared to being a believer of God. That's only because I didn't understand the magnitude of the of, sorry. That's only because I didn't understand the magnitude of the feeling of having the chains of sin broken off of me. God has surrounded me with some of the most beautiful and faithful people I've ever met, and I am certain that he sent them to save me. 
To be frank, I don't exactly recall the moment I accepted Christ. All I know is that from the moment I did, he has bountifully been pouring grace into my life. It is said in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I am happy to say that I can testify to that. My relationship with my family was really broken, and I would be very irritable and quick to anger for a number of reasons I thought were justified at the time. I feel that God has been speaking to me about the importance of building my family, even if I feel that they don't deserve it at times. Who am I to deny serving the undeserving when I know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords laid his life down for a righteous sinner like me? So I found that over the past few months, my demeanor and my heart towards my family have changed for the better. And never before I have shed tears and felt so broken over the thought of my mother and father's sin and what would become of my family if they were to leave this life without meeting Christ. This is not something that I tell myself to do. Love is something that can be self Love is not something that can be self-taught. It is something that is bestowed upon us only by God's grace. And I now know, <clears throat> and now I know that I still have a lot more maturing and learning to do as a Christian. And I'm bound to fail every now and then. But I'm not afraid of the future anymore because I know God is always with me. I've come to the point in my life where I want to really express my love for God. And by getting baptized, I want to declare to the world that I am dead to sin and regenerated in Christ. Thank you. Arturo, are you trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes. Based on your uh, profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next up, we have Sally Farlander. Her family has uh, been around our church since pretty much the beginning, and seen her come and be around, and we're excited to have her give her testimony this morning. Good morning, everyone. As he said, my parents started coming to Faith Bible in the mid-90s before this church was actually built when they met at Evansville Day School. I was blessed with parents that wanted to instill the importance of God early in life in me, and I was raised coming to Sunday school each week. I became more serious about Christ when I was in my young teens. I attended YDM here each week, and I enjoyed the fellowship and experience of being with people my age. <clears throat> and they were pursuing similar goals as I was. I knew the importance and value of Christ and what he had to offer, but I didn't feel the need to commit to him at that point. I had accepted him, but I wasn't taking intentional steps to reinforce his presence within my daily life. I felt like I was at a standstill. <clears throat> I wasn't progressing my relationship with him, and I struggled to see his val the value in his grace. I went for several years simply going through the motions. I knew following Christ was the right thing to do, but I wasn't. <clears throat> but I wasn't focusing on him and other aspects of my life. I had more exciting things to do, I thought, <laughs> than spiritual growth. When I was a teenager, I dated an unbeliever for several years. I initially told myself that I could make it work and things would change, but things didn't change and life got more difficult. <laughs> oh. 
over time, I had become regularly unhappy and anxious. I knew I needed to take action. For months, I struggled to make the right choice. I prayed and prayed, and God revealed the answer. I can confidently say he was leading me away from that relationship and into his arms. It was the most difficult experience I'd ever been through, but he guided me through it. I'm certain that wasn't his plan for me. Over the last year, my relationship with God has grown exponentially. I'm so thankful for his overflowing grace and forgiveness. He was there for me when I needed him most. This passage is one that's said frequently around here, but I think it applies well. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet God with undeserving kindness declares we are righteous. He did this through Christ who freed us from the penalty of our sins. This verse reminded me of and comforts me that we're all sinners, yet with Jesus' gift we're made whole again. No one is too far gone or too imperfect to be accepted by Christ, and I'm so grateful for his healing and peace that only he can provide. I look forward to further going my relationship with Christ. Sally, are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lainey Browning. The Browning Geyer family spent a lot of time together and uh, I call Lainey my uh, surrogate daughter. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lainey Browning, and as many of you may know, I grew up in a very solid Christian home. Go going to church on Sunday and youth group on Wednesday was second nature to me. My parents were constantly reminding me of God throughout my daily activities, but even more so when I was in trouble. My rebellious heart and sin nature was obviously not a fan of this. Every time I was being disciplined, I remember thinking, why does God have to be brought up in every conversation? This slowly became a thought of thankfulness to me. As I grew up, I became more involved in our youth group here at church. Leaders like Dave Cannon, Janelle Hobson, Jordan and Molly Minky, Darren Smith, and many more became important mentors to me. Throughout the summers, we would go on trips to theme parks, arcades, and even whitewater rafting. Basically, anything you can't find here. One trip in particular became of heavy importance to me. The summer of 2017, we went on a trip in which I took two of my closest friends. At the time, my main priority was getting a good room assignment for the hotel and having fun at the theme park. Who knew I would be leaving with a changed heart? When we arrived, I was placed in a room with my two friends and Janelle Hobson. Life was good until I saw the pile of devotions we were assigned to do each morning. <laughs> All I can remember is quickly hurrying through them in order to eat breakfast. However, the last night when we were there, Janelle sat us down after a long day at the park and told us to open our Bibles. For some reason, I felt more open in hearing what she had to say. She made sure to share the gospel, but what really stuck out to me was how she kept on saying, his mercies are new every morning. The concept of God's mercy always confused me. How could God promise me that in every sin, that for every sin I've ever committed could be wiped away? That if I trusted in him, I would never have to worry about being separated from him again? 
How could I do absolutely nothing and attain such a gift? The answer was simple. <laughs> My sin separates me from God. I am a sinner in need of a savior, and I can bring nothing but dirty rags to his feet. However, there was hope. By his work on the cross, I had the ability to have a relationship with him. At that moment, I began to pray and knew there was nothing I wanted more than to be a child of God. I repented of my sins and knew Jesus saved me from them. For the first time ever, my heart changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. At first, I was timid in telling people the news, but that quickly changed as soon as I saw Dave and Cassie Cannon at church the next Sunday. I was quickly welcomed into a new family, and even sweeter, one that I was a part of. The joy was immeasurable, and I could not wait to see where God would, could take me from there. For the most part, my walk was smooth. Most of what I struggled with was my speech and how it was used towards others. Fast forward a couple years, I started high school. Public high school brought an entirely new set of challenges for me as I was quickly introduced to sex, drugs, alcohol, and any other temptation the world could throw at me. I felt very alone. Shortly into my sophomore year of high school, I began, seeing, I began to see myself drifting from God. I quickly allowed sin to take over my life. I continued to meet with Janelle Hobson, but during these years, during these years, but it felt as though the desire was not there. I began to question if I was even a believer. My actions and speech did not reflect that of a Christian, and I fell into somewhat of a rut. Similarly to Paul in Romans 7, I was doing the things I didn't want to do and not doing the things I wanted to do. Not until this year did that change. I finally started to see God's work in my life and the reality of my sin. Earlier this year, I began meeting with Casey Earhart, and we immediately started having very hard and uncomfortable conversations. Conversations about how a Christian life should look and the joys of being a child of God. Many of our conversations left me wondering why I was so stuck in this place of confusion and how could I get out of it. Because I truly desired God and his plan for me, but it felt as if my life was on pause and had been for a while. I continued praying for God to show me the truth, and quickly he began to point out the trial I was going through. I struggled to give God my all. I was constantly questioning if my life could be fun with Christ in it. I saw all these people who were following the world without any worries or hardships, and then I saw many of my Christian friends in my life who were like me, going through many trials and difficulties. So many times would I have to remind myself of the Bible verse, Psalm 1611. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is a fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And only by prayer and in the work of the Holy Spirit did I finally understand the power of God and the joy he provides in him. There is no real joy apart from Christ, even though the world tried to tell me that. There is nothing greater than what God provides. In John 10.10, 10, it states, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Nothing in this world will ever satisfy our souls, and there's nothing greater than walking with Jesus. My only prayer is that Christ will continue to shine through my life and that he takes all the glory. The joy of the Lord is forever, and I am thankful I can call him my Savior. Are you trusting in Christ alone yes. for your salvation? Yes. <laughs> baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next up, we have Josie Hume, who's my niece. She just finished her freshman year at USI and spent most weekends at my house. And feels like she's my daughter as well. 
Hi, my name is Josie, and I consider myself very blessed to have grown up in a home where my parents are followers of Christ and taught me truth from the Bible my whole life. My parents are both youth leaders at my church in Lafayette, where the youth group goes on a serving trip every summer. One summer when I was five years old, we went to Kentucky for the summer serving trip. One night at the trip, I had just finished swimming, and a crazy storm popped up when my babysitter started talking to me about trusting God even in the middle of the storm. So I started asking her questions about salvation. For several months, I had been telling my parents I wanted to be a Christian, but as they probed, they could tell I really wasn't ready and didn't understand. I just wanted to go to heaven with mommy. But that day, in the middle of the storm, I finally understood and prayed with my babysitter and accepted Christ as my savior. Throughout my elementary years, I found it really easy to follow Christ and to be a Christian. I had really good friends who encouraged me and was consistent in my Bible reading. When I got to middle school, I fell into a rut with my faith where my parents questioned whether I was really even a Christian at all. I started to form poor relationships with those around me and a poor relationship with my mom. It wasn't until my sophomore year of high school that the Lord really grabbed a hold of my heart and I realized I needed to take my faith seriously. That was when I really started to see the depravity of my sin and where the Lord began to break me of my sin and make me more like him. Since then, my goal has been to make Christ the center of my life in a way that is evident to those around me. Looking back, I'm extremely thankful for the Lord's faithfulness in my life when I was lazy about my faith in him. My life verse is Acts 20, 24, which says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Josie, are you trusting Christ alone for your salvation? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next up, we have my middle son, Owen. Owen and I ride cycle bar often, and uh, I'm excited to hear what he has to tell us. Hi, my name is Owen Geyer. Most of you have probably seen me running around this church building for years, mostly because I've grown up here and came to church on Sunday mornings for almost 14 years. I go to Sunday school at VBS, and when I was old enough, I went to Epic, and now I'm attending YDM almost every Wednesday. This led me to know Jesus on a fairly good level, but I didn't always follow my Lord and Savior. But I, <clears throat> my life before I followed Jesus was filled with anger that I found very hard to control, hatred towards a lot of things that I should have been grateful for, but wasn't, lying to my parents constantly and stealing things of all kind. It was on June 5th, 2019, during a VBS service where Caleb Patton shared the verse Romans 6:23, which says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it wasn't only the verse that made me think about where I would go after I died, but it was the way Caleb explained it to me as a young fourth grader, almost fifth grader, that got me thinking. So after that night, we all piled into the car and we were talking about what we had learned and I remember asking my mom, can I talk to you when we get home? When we got home, me and my mom went into her room and I asked her, how do I become a Christian? Because I did not know what would happen if I died. I thought maybe God would show love and grace to me because I was little and didn't know much about the world and what was going on. As my older brother Brant would constantly remind me, when we would try to have a conversation, I would ask a lot of questions and he would get easily annoyed with me. But then my mom shared the verse Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 with me that said, for by, for by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing but it is the free gift of God. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I remember her sharing that with me because I asked her, how can I get to heaven? And her answer was that it was not my doing, but the Holy Spirit's doing. Then we prayed, and she told me that now it's up to me to pray and 
ask God to come into my life and save me. So that night I went to bed and I could not sleep. I was thinking very hard about the verses and I was easily getting overwhelmed. So I decided to pray and ask God not only to save me, to put, but to put my mind at ease. After I became a Christian, I had the urge to follow God's commandments, and I had a hunger to learn more about Him. My parents and I have noticed many differences in my life. I've learned to control my anger and not to lash out, but I still struggle with this. I have found that it is better to tell the truth than to lie to get what you want. And Dave Hartzell had a lesson over the Ten Commandments that we split up into many parts, but the one that really stuck out to me was when we taught over when he taught over Exodus 20:17, which is the commandment that talks about not taking things that belong to your neighbor. And this helped me a lot with fighting the temptation of taking things that didn't belong to me. To me. Epic has helped me grow a lot in my faith. I would also like to thank some people that God has put into my life for me to grow closer to him and grow in my faith. Casey Earhart has made my walk in faith eye-opening because she would ask me very good questions that I found very hard to answer. I couldn't find an answer because I would often feel that this was a place where I needed to grow. Those questions eventually helped me grow my faith. Dylan St. Pri is another person that has helped me grow my faith through our morning workouts and talking about the, new, the book, New Morning Mercies. God has brought another person into my life, Jimmy Snep, who has challenged my, and encouraged me in my walk through his Sunday school class and his lessons. I'm thankful that God has placed many people into my life to challenge and encourage me to grow in my walk. I'm excited, I'm excited to be obedient to God through baptism and share publicly how God has changed my life. And this is not my own doing, but his doing. Owen, are you trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, my oldest son, Brent, is my first son, and I don't know where his height comes from. Uh, like my dad said, my name is Brent. Um, you probably know me from all the years I've attended Faith Bible. I grew up here running around with friends and eating too many mints from the drawer kids aren't supposed to know about. <laughs> my dad is an elder here and my mom is a women's teacher, so you already know the gospel has been expressed to me in my daily life in one way or another. These teachings made me somewhat of a moral kid. I was very much like the brother in the parable of the prodigal son who didn't leave. And just like that brother, I did everything as I was told, but only because I thought it, was, it made me look good before God. I began to think that I was better than God in many ways and that his plan was flawed. A foolish thought, but one I had tricked myself into believing. As life went on, I continued to doubt God. I thought someone who creates a place as evil as hell must not love his creations. As I doubted God, I began to put, one, put more foolish faith in myself, believing I was capable of buying my way into heaven with good actions. But in reality, I had become a boy with a level of hubris hard to match and a strong selfishness you never want to see in your child. The ironic thing was that in all this doubt, if you had asked me if I was a believer, I would have said, most definitely. As I went in into upper elementary school and middle school, I began attending Epic. It was there that Dave Hartsaw and Casey Earhart began asking the tough questions like they do so well. They asked things like, what holds you back from becoming a believer? On the surface, not a tough question but it was one I wrestled with. I knew deep down why, but I always had some excuse. 
My favorite seemed to be, Jesus is for those in crisis, not for people in the real world. Then, as I went into high school, I began to attend John Wilsey's Sunday school class. He shared his favorite verse, John 10.10, For the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that you may have life and have it abundantly. It was then that I finally started to accept what people had been telling me. I slowly began softening and regarding God as more of a savior than I had previously thought. The final thing that finally made me realize my need for a savior and my foolishness was my pastor Bryce's sermon over Philippians 3.2, which says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul was describing the false teachers as these hypocrites who were like these dogs. They were much more moral than most, but still denied Jesus and praised themselves. They were hypocrites who served themselves and tarnished the name of the Lord. I say all this because it was then that I quickly realized I was one of these dogs, mangy and gross before the Lord. I realized that everything I did was contrary to what scripture called the Christian to be. And just like that old hymn, dirty rags were all that I brought. My supposed morality was nothing to God. How could anything I, have, I had done save me? I went to bed that night and started crying over my sin and just asking for forgiveness. I asked for forgiveness and admitted that I was a horrible dog who had turned the name of a Christian into something not too different from an unsaved person. I begged forgiveness and cried out for salvation. I prayed to God and told him of my sin. He had opened my eyes to my despicableness and I couldn't turn back to that. I begged for redemption. As I've grown in my faith, I've seen God working in me tremendously. If you knew me before being saved, the only time I would ever serve someone is if either money was involved or if my parents made me. Money was rarely involved. <laughs> now I have a hunger to serve as Christ did in Mark 10:45. I never have felt so compelled to love my neighbor without receiving anything in return, which is a really weird feeling for me. My hunger to know more of God has also grown. I look forward to YDM every week just to get to open the Bible and see what God can teach me, rather than where I can prove God wrong like I, once used to, like I once used to want to do. Now I come before you all seeking to get baptized. I know nothing about these waters saves me. They aren't going to take away my sin, but this is a public declaration, a declaration of God's saving power over me and his mercy. Thank you. Brent, are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As you heard those testimonies, I hope that you heard a number of people, names that uh, have really played a big part in a number of these young people's lives. Uh, if you're serving here at church and it feels um, like you're not recognized or are you making any kind of effort or any kind of lead way or is it even resonating, I, I think this is a great example that it is. Uh, there are a number of people here that have invested in my family and my children that um, are, we're here today because of their faithfulness to God and his word and sharing the gospel. And I'd encourage you to continue to do that, um, even if it seems like it's hopeless or <laughs> nothing happens there. Let me pray to start our service. Lord God, you are great and greatly to be praised. You are awesome. When we look at how you work in this world, we can be amazed at the mountains and the trees, 
the storms, but we should really be amazed at how you can take dead people and make them alive. You give new life and you give hope and eternal life that can never be taken away. God, we praise you and thank you for Christ. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the nature of a newborn baby? What I mean is, what is your default as a human when you come into this world? Because people have answered that question in different ways, with massively different consequences. How you answer that question, your default, your factory settings, how you answer that question affects everything in society. It affects how we educate our children. It affects how we interpret and respond to major world events. It affects how we punish wrongdoers. It affects everything. And maybe you haven't thought deeply about this before, but you have an opinion on it already. Even if you haven't expressed it, you have some view. What are we people by nature? The three views that have been expressed for the last thousands of years are basically these. Either we are good by nature, or we're bad by nature, or we're neither good or bad by nature. Those are the three views. Just take one of them. A very popular view is that we're neither good or bad by nature. From the time that you are born, you are what has been called a blank slate. You're like a whiteboard with nothing on it. And it's your environment and your experiences and the people that you encounter in life. They're the ones with the dry erase markers coming up and writing onto you either good or bad things. So many people have adopted this view that you are by nature a blank slate. And you could see all the consequences there would be in society from this view because then there would be a fixed emphasis upon your environment. If we can perfect your environment, or at least make it less bad, then we could produce good people, because that's what you'll be in a good environment. There is the second view, which is that by nature, we're actually good. And when you look around in the world and you see all the bad things, because there's a lot of bad things, you say, where does that come from? It comes from the corrupting influences of society at large. Because you, left to your own devices, if you weren't corrupted by the society around you, would self-express in a good way. And if you want to know the consequences of holding a view like that, then you can just look at society today because that is probably the most common view today. And then there's a final view, stated sometimes with a blush, but this view is, that you're not born as a blank slate, neutral, and you're not born good, you're born bad. Those who hold this viewpoint point out that you don't have to teach a child how to lie. They just figure out how to do it all by themselves. You don't have to teach them how to steal, how to manipulate others, how to hit their siblings. You don't have to teach them that. They come, as it were, pre-programmed with this knowledge and desire to do these bad things. 
We might want to avoid this final view because, let's be honest, it sounds very negative. And we're, in America, we tend to be very optimistic. We don't like that negative view. And yet, you know, if you've spent much time in Scripture, that this is the view presented to you in the Bible. What is human nature from the time of our birth? Yours, mine? It is naturally bad. This is what we call the doctrine of original sin or really original corruption. It means that when Adam and Eve sinned so long ago, we were in some way tied to them. Say, I wasn't there. We weren't there. But we were in a sense with them. They represented us. They were humanity. They were all humanity at the time that they were created. And when they fell by revolting against God, you and I, all of us, we fell with them. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why now every person who is born is born with a nature, an innermost principle that guides our activity that is at root bad, not good, not blank, but bad. Romans 5.12 says it. It says, sin came into the world through one man. So why do you choose to sin? There are many reasons, but he says here, well, it came into the world through one man. That's Adam. It's an original, original sin. He sinned, and now from the time we're born, there's sin among humanity. He opened the gate. He let the foxes in. Now we have the foxes in our garden. Romans 5 goes on to say, by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many, that's us, were made sinners. This is what we call the fall, and it was a fall of all humanity, and that's why from the time of our birth, we join with King David, who gave this lament, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. When you look at a newborn baby, don't look suspicious, like you're bad, okay? Jesus welcomed the little children. We love little children. Don't misunderstand this at all. But we also agree with the church father, Augustine, who said that little girl who is crying because you didn't feed her in time, if she was strong enough, she'd kill you. (laughs) So it's not the goodness of the little girl, but it's the goodness of God that he made her so weak so that she can't do that. But it's from the time of our birth, we have a natural leaning toward selfishness, toward pride, toward evil, toward manipulating others, toward deceit, all of this comes built in, and it's not God's fault, but rather in Adam, we have all fallen into the state, original sin, that we inherit, and corruption as well. We're not saying that now everyone's born as bad as they could be, because you know that's not true. We could all be much worse than we are, but at our very root, we are born with a principle that's been corrupted. We are, as Scripture says, from the time of our birth, enslaved to the devil. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. That might be shocking to hear. And yet it is the clear teaching of the Bible. Now, we are born children of God in one sense, as we've talked about in a past sermon, because we are made in God's image. So there's a sense in which all people everywhere are children of God in that sense. But spiritually speaking, all people from the time of birth, we are children of the devil and enslaved to him to do his will. He is the author of sin in some sense, and we imitate him by sinning from the time of birth. What is human nature? It's fallen. It's broken. It is bad. 
We, by nature, are children of wrath and children of the devil. But if this all seems too bitter to take in, the reason we profess this from this pulpit and the reason that it's claimed in the scriptures is not to depress you over much, but it's to prepare you for the very good news that if you know you're in that kind of trouble, you'll seek help. And if you seek help, if you knock, God help me. Just like we heard in the baptisms, God will help you. And you can change from a child of the devil into a genuine child of God. Let's see this because it's the theme that we're given in 1 John now, chapter 3, as we continue on from last week. Let's begin in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The Apostle John first introduced this idea of being born of God to us at the end of chapter 2. And in fact, the very last verse, and you might remember it, because what he said is, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. That was the first time we saw that in John. That immediately launched him into the beginning of chapter 3, the chapter we're now in, with a consideration of how amazing it is to be born of God. <laughs> that if you're in Christ, you are a child of God. So you are, he said. Amazing love that we could be that. But when we get down to verse 4, after talking about how amazing it is to be a child of God, to be born of God, verse 4, he doesn't want anyone to make any mistakes here. When he's saying it's amazing that you are a child of God, he's not saying you're a child of God by default just because you happen to be born the first time as a human. It's not what he's saying. So he makes very clear that to be born of God is something that happens to and really in you, that changes you when you trust in Christ. And if that change has not happened, then when he's talking about being children of God, he's not referring to you. That's what he's been doing since verse 4, is clarifying that so no one walks away thinking, I'm a child of God, and yet lives a life completely unchanged, a life completely invested in and dedicated to sin, saying, I'm a child of God. And John says, you're not a child of God. He's been doing that since verse 4. He's continuing to do that now in verses 8, 9, and 10. So we're just continuing on from last week. We broke the passage up so we'd have more time with it. What John is going to do this week is explain to you further 
why you cannot live characterized by sin and be a child of God. You can't do both of those at the same time. Those who live in sin have a different father than God and a different nature than God, different nature here in themselves than the one reflecting God, I should say. So kind of in keeping with verse 10, which is a summary of the whole thing where he says it's evident who are the children of God and children of the devil. He's trying to separate those out for you and saying it's evident. I'm trying to show you, make it obvious to you that they're different and this is what this looks like and this is what this looks like. Then that's how we're going to break this sermon up today as well as we follow the text. First, let's consider what he means when he talks about those who are the children of the devil. That's all of us from the time of our birth. And that's some who are in this room now. And then we'll move over to consider what's also evident, what it means to be a child of God, which is what we become when we trust in Christ. So let's start here with what he really spends the most time on. What does it mean when he speaks of those who are children of the devil? Like I said, verse 10, he wants you to know, he doesn't want this to be fuzzy for you. He says in verse 10, by this it is evident or obvious. He wants it to be obvious to you if you are a child of the devil or a child of God. He doesn't want there to be a question mark hanging over your head, which one am I? He's trying to make it evident for you. So how does he do that? Well, let's look here. Start here in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And because of verse 10, you could probably, probably put the word born in there, born of the devil, because we'll talk about children of the devil, but is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Like we said, the biblical doctrine of original sin or original corruption teaches us that who is it who makes a practice of sinning? All of us from the time we're born. Your sin from the time you were born, it's not just like one or two sins when you were five. But if you're honest with yourselves, it's a practice of sinning. Not as much as you could sin, but it is a practice. It characterizes your life. And unless there's a definitive change at some point that we'll talk about in a moment, then that will continue to characterize your life. So this means everyone naturally is what? John says anyone who makes a practice of sinning is what? Of the devil. It's not very kind of John to say. But he says it because it's true. Notice John is not saying that we are blank slates. And he's not saying that from the time of birth, everyone's pretty much good. People are pretty much decent people. It's just when they have a bad experience, they get messed up. Certainly bad experiences do affect us and mess us up in many ways. We're not denying that. But the way that John approaches this is he says, anyone, anyone, it's whoever, you saw that? Whoever makes a practice of sinning that characterizes your life, then there's no gray for John. You are therefore of the devil. You're still in factory settings. You're still in your natural state, which is to be of the devil is what he says. Sometimes we'll talk about an age of accountability and we'll say that those who are much younger, so young children, before they're quite developed enough to really realize spiritual things, at that point, it's easy for us to think, well, they don't really sin. They just have small foibles, just little things we laugh at. Now, 
I do believe there is an age of accountability in the sense that at a certain age we are accountable before God in a way that we need to believe, which when you're a brand new newborn, can you believe? But I don't want any of us to think, and nor does Scripture want us to think, that there's some arbitrary age at which sins really become sins. These are all sins. These are all revolt against God. And because of Adam, we have them from a very young age. So from the time we're born, whoever makes a practice of sinning is what? Of the devil. You and I, all of us, were born in this sense as children of the devil. Now, what does that mean? We've already spoken how John is using as a picture this idea of family resemblance. He's talking about fathers and children. And he's doing it to use this picture of family resemblance because children often look like and imitate their parents. That's true for genetic reasons. That's true just because of the interactions. And so John's taking hold of that and using that as a picture and has been doing that for us in talking about being born of God, will look like God. Here he's saying those who are born of the devil or children of the devil, what should we expect of them? That they will look in some ways like the devil. Not in all ways. That's important. But in some ways they will have this resemble, resemblance to the devil. And the key part of that resemblance that he's pointing out is right there in that verse. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And notice the next part. Why is it that if you make a practice of sinning, you're of or born of the devil? Why? Well, look, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Like father, like son. Sin, for John, is the thing, is the resemblance between the father and the son in this case. That's what he's drawing your attention to. The devil sins. That characterizes, that is what the devil is. One who sins more than anything else. That's the devil. And so John is drawing a connection and saying, you can know. It is evident that you are a child of the devil. In other words, still in your natural state, if your life is characterized by sin, because that's what the devil is and does. That's the logic. I hope you can see that in verse 8. Now, before we move on to consider this further, I want to just hit pause here because I'm sort of assuming that we all know who the devil is. And definitely here in America, we all know the name and we know maybe from cartoons, unfortunately, a few things about the devil or Satan. But I want to hit pause here and make sure you know from the Bible who we're talking about. Who is the devil? That there are those who resemble him. The first time we encounter the devil in the Bible is famously in Genesis chapter 3. And what I appreciate about that passage when we find a snake slither its way into the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are living in a perfect paradise untouched by sin. When the devil slithers his way in and sticks out his forked tongue for the first time there in Scripture, we find in that encounter between the snake and Eve all the outline of who the devil is. <laughs> Basically everything that we'll ever learn about him afterward you remember what happens in that encounter? That the snake comes in 
and Eve is there and God has told Eve, you can eat all this wonderful fruit that I've made for you in this perfect earth, in this wonderful garden, but there's one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat of that fruit. That's the only one. And Eve, if you do, you will die. Well, then in comes the devil in the form of a snake. We're told in Revelation, he's the ancient serpent. That's the devil there. He slithers in and he says, remember what he does? He tries to tempt Eve by telling her that she can be like God. He says, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because if you eat that fruit, you will become like God. What is that? That's pride. The first thing we know about the devil from the Bible, which is consistent every time he's portrayed, is that the devil is proud. He wants to be above God. That is clear absolutely everywhere in Scripture. It's clear as well in that very scenario. So you can be like God. That's the lure. But what else is he doing there? It's very clear that the devil wants to harm Eve. And in harming Eve, harm all humanity. And probably in his mind, do some harm to God, which is impossible. But that's his hope. The devil, in other words, is what the word Satan means. It means enemy. He is an enemy. He is hateful. He wants to hurt people for the sake of hurting people like some young children when it's unhealthy in this way, when they like to hurt animals just for the sake of hurting the animal. That originates in the devil. This is something he delights in, this sort of wicked, masochistic sense of enjoying the harm done to others. He wants, he's not only proud, but he's hateful. The way Jesus put this was, as was quoted this morning, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan loves that we suffer. Satan loves that we die. You remember in the time of Jesus, many of the diseases that people had that Jesus encountered were caused actively by demons under Satan's guidance. Just for the sake of it. He's hateful. He's spiteful. Probably were to understand Satan as being behind the very first murder. It took only one generation. It was Eve. The snake is talking to Eve. You, you'll be like God. Things will be good. But really what would happen is when she sinned her own two sons, one would kill the other. Jesus said Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He's not only proud, Satan is hateful. You see in this as well, something that scripture confirms everywhere. Finally, Satan is deceitful. It's one of his main characteristics in all of the Bible. He had told her, you will not surely die. Just like anytime you're tempted with sin and you're thinking about the consequences of it, both naturally and into eternity, and here come the whispers of the devil or his minions to tell you, no, 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 you're wrong about the consequences. You won't die. It will be fine. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus said, when Satan lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Meaning, he originated the lies we have here in humanity. He spoke the first lie ever spoken on this virgin earth. Came from his forked tongue as a snake. So today, all delusion, all falsehood, 
all unreality from the addict, where everyone around the addict knows that the addict has a problem, but the addict is living in an unreality that they've created for themselves, where they say, I'm fine. That's from the devil, the father of that lie. Or from the cruel dictator who takes the reins of power and puts forth propaganda that is not according to reality, but he's producing fantasies for his people to follow him in. That comes from the devil who is the father of lies. Or from the scammer who calls you or emails or texts you because he won the lottery and wants you to have a part of it if you put in your social security number. That comes from the devil. Or from the, they're not all bad, but from the corrupt car salesmen who have their tactics and ways of twisting and working and acting to get you to do something and buy a lemon. All of this deceit comes from the devil. He's the liar. He is the father of lies. What we find in all of scripture is that Satan is proud. Satan is hateful. Satan is deceitful. Those are his three main characteristics. And in our passage, those three are summarized by John just in this way. Sin. He says the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And that's what he means. He's been trying to usurp God in his pride. He's been hatefully trying to do harm to all. He's been tricking by the use of deceit. Sin is really every anti-God act or attitude. And Satan is as anti-God as is possible. He's been sinning from the beginning. Notice here in this, as we continue to consider Satan himself, it says he's been sinning from the beginning. There's something we haven't talked about, even after we've considered Genesis 3, because how did Satan get so evil by Genesis 3? In the narrative, he just shows up. But how did he get that way? Because at the end of Genesis 1, God looks at all creation, heaven and earth, that he had just made. That's everything that exists. And he says that it's very good. So we know that in Genesis chapter 1, by the end of creation, Satan is not evil. Because there is no evil yet. But by Genesis 3, there's an evil devil. So I guess even in the Genesis account, it's at least implied that there was a corrupting of Satan. Most Christians, there's some question as to this part, but most Christians believe that there are two prophecies in the Old Testament that were directed by prophets to the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre, who were evil men, but were meant by God to be laments primarily about the devil. These are found in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. And these help, if they are referring to Satan, which I think that they are, they help to fill in for us, together with the passage from Revelation, which we don't have time to consider, but they help to fill in for us what happened between Genesis 1 and 3. Where did the evil of the devil and therefore of all mankind come from? And if you put Isaiah 14, which is a lament of the king of Babylon, bad guy, together with Ezekiel 28, which is a lament of the king of Tyre, another bad guy, if you put those together then this is the picture you have. They speak of a cherub. If you know your Old Testament, a cherub is an angelic being, an angel. They speak of a guardian cherub who was in the garden of God, who was perfect, glorious, and beautiful, who was created in a majestic way. 
In fact, the King James of one of those passages refers to him as Lucifer, which we understand is a bad name. Lucifer actually means one who carries light. Because originally the devil was good, a bearer of light, the morning star. He was a glorious, good, righteous, angelic being. You might wonder, how did he pass from that being good into being evil? The answer is we don't know. In fact, the only passage we have about it is saying you were perfect until unrighteousness was found in you. How? I don't know. You don't know. Don't guess about it. Don't make a cult about it. We don't know. But that's what happened. He was righteous, glorious, beautiful, angelic being, and then unrighteousness was found in him. We find in these prophecies that the devil wanted to exalt himself above the heavens, above the stars of God. In other words, he wanted to usurp the throne of God, pride. We know that about the devil. He wanted to be greater than God. What he offered to Eve was really what he wanted for himself. You will be like God. That's Satan's desire that pride. And what we know from those prophecies, we know it from Jesus' own lips in the New Testament, we know it from the book of Revelation, that Satan revolted against God and fell from heaven. So we speak of the fall referring to our fall, mankind, but there was a fall before the fall. It was really the first sin, and it was Satan who brought angels with him, who became demons, fell from heaven, came to earth, and then worked on our fall. That's what happened between Genesis 1 and 3. Pride, hatred, deceit. That's what John is talking about here when he says the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's what he means. From the beginning when he fell, this is what Satan's been doing. He's been sinning in these three ways. So now that you have that background, let's return here to the idea of children of the devil because we're still asking what exactly are children of the devil and what do they look like. But I think now you'll know because if you know the Father, you know the Son. The apple doesn't fall far. It's John's point. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. And if you want that expanded a little bit from just sin, something fuller, then look at verse 10. By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. And here's two expansions upon what it means to practice sin. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The devil sins, pride, hate, deceit. Those born of the devil, those naturally of the devil, they sin. That's simple, right? That's the point John's making. There's a family resemblance that you can witness there. And you say, well, everyone sins. So how do you know if your life is characterized by sin? Then this is what you're going to see in your life. He says in verse 10, you are not going to practice righteousness. No one you know is going to look at you and say, that's someone who practices righteousness. Or if they do, they're tricked. People are going to say, oh, yep, that's just, you know, John doing his thing. That's what he always does, of course, you know. You don't practice. Is there anyone who would say of you, you practice righteousness? And even further, as we'll see more next week, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Listen, do you 
make a practice of sin. You yourself. Because today there are so many who hold these different views of what we are naturally, because there are so many who will say, well, we're a blank slate, and so many will say, well, you're naturally good, it's really easy for us to make light of sin. It's really easy for us to think the foibles of youth. I'm a decent person. I just, you know, God forgives. That's what he does. He forgives, right? So I might not be really living for him, but, you know, I'm not the worst. I'm not Hitler. I'm not as bad as I could be. And people will come in with these other views of human nature, and we'll grab onto those because, think about it, the other views, if you're not naturally bad, the other views get you off the hook. If you're naturally good, well, that's wonderful. Then the blame for your sins, it's not on you. The blame for your sins, it's, it's on society, made up of all naturally good people. I don't understand that. But it's society that somehow is corrupting you. So we can point out there, whew, get us off the hook. I don't want to talk about my sin. Look out there at society. It's making me bad. If I was left to myself, I'd be good. Or even the blank slate. It's not about me. I'm a blank slate. It's what people have written on me. It's my parents. It's my bad experiences when I was younger. It's this. It's that. It's my boss. It's my coworker. It's my spouse. You don't understand. And we use all of these things to try to wiggle our way out of what's being said here. But John says it very clearly. If you make a practice of sin, I don't want to hear the excuses. He doesn't want to hear the caveats. None of that. Make a practice, meaning that characterizes your life more than holiness, more than righteousness. You are mainly sinning. It's what you're doing, revolting against God. Then throw the caveats away. He just says it clearly. Listen, you are still in your natural state. That's why you're characterized by sin. It's not out there. It's because you are of the devil. And the devil sins and you therefore sin. Jesus says it like this to the very religious Jewish people of his day. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. John says, it's evident. It's evident if you're a child of the devil by your life. Now, all this bad news... On a Sunday morning, we've got to wrap up. <laughs> but the reason this bad news becomes good news is because although John's focused here on children of the devil, he makes just as clear that if you realize that's where you naturally are, you can change. You can't change yourself, but you can be born a second time so that you truly become a child of God and not of the devil. Look at verse 8, the end of it. The reason the Son of God appeared was what? To destroy the works of the devil. And if you're a child of God, you're a work of the devil. He has worked this corruption into you. And the Son of God appeared because he said, not today, Satan. He came into the world to reclaim his own. As Jesus said in a parable you can't go into a strong man's house and take his goods unless you bind him first. Jesus said that's what he came to do. Here we are bound to Satan from the time of our birth and Jesus comes in the world, dies upon a cross to strip away the power of sin and death from the devil 
ties him up so that he can plunder his goods, and that is us. That's the reason Jesus appeared, was to do that. And that's what leads us finally to verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In other words, we might be naturally born of the devil, but we don't have to stay that way. Born of God. And what happens when you trust in Jesus and are born a second time, this time born of God? This is the main thing. Your core self, your inner principle changes. You don't stop sinning completely. It remains and you fight it. But who you are in the deepest sense, the way that John describes that is he says God's seed abides in you. In other words, the genetic information is planted in you. You once resembled the devil. He sins, you sin. You're proud, you're deceitful, you're hateful. Now you're born again and at the very core of your being, although there's still sins you're fighting with, that has changed. God is righteous, therefore you are righteous. God loves, therefore you're not hateful. You love. God's working off the bitterness. Why? Because his seed abides in you. You cannot, literally you cannot live a lifestyle characterized by sin if you're a child of God. That's not just a guilt trip to get you to stop sinning. That's comfort. That's joy. That means you, by faith in Christ, can be born of God, get a new inner principle, truly be changed, be a child of God, new nature, new DNA, and now put your sin to death and live a holy life. You can do that by the work of God in you. Because God's seed abides in you and you cannot go on sinning. And this makes it evident that you're a child of God. This passage is a warning. If you find yourself characterized by sin, be warned. But it's also a comfort to you who believe. You don't have to live stuck in your sins. They harass us. We hate them. But they're the devil's work. And Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. And does Jesus ever fail? Never. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning of not only hearing in your word the fact that you change us by the powerful work of your son and snatch us from the grip of the devil and renew us so that we are, much to his chagrin but much to our joy, holy and righteous in our conduct. Not completely, but characteristically. Thank you that we've not only seen that in your word, but we see it alive in six people who were baptized here. And not just in them, but among ourselves. We who all once walked in darkness, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who's now at work in the sons of disobedience, those children of the devil. That was us. But you, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which you loved us, have caused us to be born again. And I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help your people here. We who fight sin and must go on fighting it, not to grow weary in the warfare, for the battle is already won, but help us to live as if it is, and to put to death what is earthly in us, and to live holy lives so the world can see us 
and see in us our family resemblance and trace us to our Father and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.